Hey, this is Alex Kola, and you are listening to the Go-To-Market Mastery Podcast. Today, we are talking about scaling a company from 2 to 50 million revenue with our guest, Oliver Manjolovic. Let's go. If you can't learn how to close, you better start thinking about another career. And I am deadly serious about that. The reason for the call today, John, is something just came across my desk, John. It is perhaps the best thing I've seen in the last six months. If you have 60 seconds, I'd like to share the idea with you. Hey, Oliver. Hey, Alex. Good to meet you. Good to meet you, too. How are you? How, how's your day been so far? Uh, busy, but good, I would say. Um, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, I would say, an intense environment. Uh, but on the other side, that's also good because when you when you have to leave your comfort zone, that's where you grow. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because I had to do it already a couple of times and it's always <laughs> painful and um, not always pleasant. But uh, looking backwards, it's always very satisfying. Great, 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 great. So um, we are talking today uh, about scaling a company from two to 50 million yeah um and yeah you have faced a challenge like this already uh, at personio and um maybe we start off um a bit by um you introducing yourself a bit uh, sharing a bit more about your role at personio and what will also be interesting is uh, why do you work in sales and how did you end up in sales mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that 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 can turn out to be a, a long story. So, if you feel like it's too long and too boring, just cut me off. Um, so uh, I'm Oliver. Um, I'm a VP Sales at Personio. I'm here with the company for now um, yeah, five and a half years or twenty two quarters. Um, I've been in uh, tech slash cloud slash SaaS slash software sales for the last sixteen seventeen years. Started in two thousand seven. Um, at a smaller, not really well-known company, um, average products at high price points. So uh, how to say in itself already a challenge to sell it. Um, nevertheless, I always worked for U.S. companies before I joined Personio. And I think um, what I like about U.S. companies is that they really focus on outcomes and uh, not so much about the you know, formalities and things like that. So if you're, if you're, if you're delivering good output, um, you, you, you can make a good living, you can make a good career. And I think that's kind of like what brought me here to Personio because Hanno, um, uh, at some point in time realized that, um, the company is running well. A lot of the revenue was driven by inbound marketing. Um, uh, but, um, to kind of like continue on the pace they wanted to go, they needed to, um, kind of like, uh, add a couple layers on top, um, also be more proactively in reaching out to customers that are not reaching out to Personio to prospects. And it was my kind of like task when I came here um, over five years ago to kind of like establish uh, what we would call at that time outbound um, and a few other uh, layers into uh, building a, uh, an orchestrated and functioning sales system. So that's that's kind of like where I am right now and like the, the initial background, how did I end up in sales? I think uh, many of the things in my life when I was a kid led me to it. Um, my first professional sales job was um, selling American Express credit cards at the airport or distributing it. I mean, it was no, not, not not a real selling in that sense, but, uh, you know, people had to sign a contract, show you their bank card and their ID and tell you a little bit about themselves. And um, that was already a sales challenge uh, for it. And 
um, it was interesting. And I always liked the principle in selling that, um, you know, if you if you deliver good results, uh, you can make more money, you have more impact. Um, so the, the reward is very, very clearly connected to your performance. Mm -hmm. Thank you so, so much for that. Uh, and also a great story. Uh, I think that's always very, very interesting how people end up in um, yeah, their sales job. Um, and, you know, scaling a company um, always involves a solid foundation. And even though today we're talking about scaling from 2 million upwards, um, what were some of the key factors um, that contributed to successfully scaling Personio, maybe also from its humble beginnings? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's many factors, uh, but I think the, the key factor is the product. So if you have a shitty product, if it doesn't solve a problem, it doesn't deliver value, then, you know, you can make a few good initial sales, but then um, you will face probably high churn at some point in time because customers will not stick around. Um, and I think that's something that um, maybe it's intrinsically into the type of product we're building, but also probably into how we built it and the capabilities that they that, that it has. Um, we, we see very low churn numbers. So people stick around with us. Once we acquire them, we have relatively high, um, uh, lifetimes. And, um, I think that's, that's one piece that sometimes when you are in an early stage, you overestimate your stickiness, you go out, uh, you kind of like make good first strides and then you realize, oh shit, um, I'm, I'm, I'm burning customers. I'm kind of like just uh, bringing them in to crunch them out a couple months later. And uh, we never had that problem. So I think that was one of the foundational elements that we always had in our favor. I mean, that was not like, how to put it, not 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 divine intervention. Someone like put this upon us. No, uh, the team built it and, um, you know, uh, made it capable in that way. That's that's great. Um, and maybe now you're also, of course, a venture scout for Pico's Capital and therefore seen maybe not only Personio grow and face that challenge. So maybe let's start by, before we like um, go to the do's, um, what are the most common don'ts you see or mistakes you see that startups make or made when they faced this challenge that Personio like, faced with two to 50 million? You, I mean, we faced many challenges. Are you specifically thinking about the outbound piece, like to to like establish yeah. this and make this work? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, so a like um, we 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 still have room for companies to you know like go to fifty million and beyond. Uh, I think there's still not too many uh, companies coming out of Dach. I think we're one. Uh, Celones is another one. Contentful is one, and there's a few others, but not too many. So long story short, um, when when I look around companies, it's exactly what I described in the earlier example that they go out too early before the product is ready. Um, so I had um, I'm, I'm active as an angel investor, um, as you pointed out, um, and um, I had once a conversation with the CEO, and he's like, "Hey, Oli, can you jump on a call? I would like that you look into our metrics. You know, it's not working out." I'm like, "Okay, let's do it." Uh, like, what do, you, what, what do you have to show? And basically, they were growing at 30%, which is for an early stage company, not really fast, but okay, at 30%. The biggest problem, though, was they had a churn of 30%. So that means they didn't grow at all. So every customer that they brought in at some point in time kind of like crunched out. 
And um, he said, yeah, what, what should we do? And I'm like, stop selling. He's like, why? It's like, yeah, you're simply burning money. Like, um, you first have to stop the leakage. Once you've stopped the leakage, once you've understood how you can keep customers, you can go back and start selling again because apparently people jump on board, but apparently they're not staying. And there could be many reasons. It could be the product, it could be a shitty onboarding experience. So the product is actually good, but no one finds the value into it. I mean, could be a challenge in itself, but sometimes products are just simply too complex to explore. You can't just do it by yourself. Uh, you have to have someone who explains it properly in a, in a good way and ideally very fast. Um, so that you don't spend a lot of time between selling the product and um, getting the customer engaged. But I think that's one of the the, the most critical pieces. And then um, when you um, when you go a little bit beyond that phase, like let's say you have established this, then I think um, you know finding finding the right people who will help you do that job. Because if you are still a founding team and you don't have professional sellers, at some point in time, you will need to have professional sellers. And then I've seen often that uh, basically CEOs extrapolate their learnings and their closing numbers onto the expectation towards a sales VP or towards a AE or something like that. And that's simply not not not, not something that you will see. Your, your numbers will change. Uh, you will have to find pretty quickly, like what is the truth and understand, okay, is that is that how we scale or are we failing or do we do need to do something better? And then last but not least, um, I think having a sales operations team is something that we should have done earlier. So we brought it in at around, I think, 10, yeah, probably 10, 15 million or something like that. Um, not not too bad to have someone already a little bit earlier in there. And, and how big is your sales operations team? By now? Yeah. Wow, good question. I don't know, to be fair. Um, I'm not running it anymore. Like they're not they're not reporting directly to me. We have a um, head of uh, go-to-market uh, operations and strategy. I would say mm -hmm. 30, 40 people or something like that, for sure. Mm -hmm. That's quite a huge team, right? Yeah, so, um... yeah, I mean, we have we have over 400 people in go-to-market, which is basically consistent of sales, marketing and sales ops and partnerships. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Not sure if it's too big. I mean, sure, like uh, ideally you can keep that type of team small, but on the other side, I think it's often an oversight how much value such a team kind of like delivers. I mean, we have uh, under sales operations, we have also functions like sales engineering, enablement and so on in there. So it's not just mm -hmm. a team of 40 analysts, but a cross-functional team that basically allows us to operate um, the sales team in a way uh, we need to operate it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, so now that we touched a bit on the, on, on the don'ts, um, what would you say were your personal most successful or key strategies and tactics, tech tactics that were instrumental in scaling Personio? Mm -hmm. mm. So, I mean, sometimes people ask us, okay, how do you systematically figure out what you need to do? Um, I don't think there is a good answer to that because typically um, it's a little bit of trial and error. You have to try things to really know how it works out for you. Um, because, for example, for what's what's working well for us is cold calling. Um, some people I know, they're saying, oh, yeah, cold calling is not a thing anymore. You can do whatever, LinkedIn, chat, GPT, emails, da 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 um, And that might be true in some areas. So, like, I'm not even saying uh, cold calling is uh, always superior to everything else. But um, when you think about your audience, when you think about the people who are buying from you, you need to understand where you're going to meet them. 
you know it 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 doesn't help you for example if you're i don't know selling yeah i don't have a stupid example i don't have a good analogy for this but i think we've 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 kind of like followed the path on where we need to meet our prospects how do we need to approach them so we tried out a few things and then we tried out cold calling and cold calling was tremendously superior to everything else that we tried out and then we doubled down on it and said okay that's it what we need to do and that's still today uh, what we need to do because our audience hasn't changed dramatically but if you're selling for example instead of let's say hr people in the german mittelstand um, small and medium businesses if you're selling for example to developers in large enterprises probably you won't be able to cold call them because they probably don't have even a phone so you need to find another way how to approach them and i think this is something that allowed us uh, to kind of like be successful because we didn't follow like general wisdom we followed the proof points that we saw and we always thought about how can we differentiate ourselves how can we cut through the noise because if everyone is using how to say uh, like uh, as a, as it's a hot topic at the moment if everyone is using chat gpt at some point in time all the emails will be the same so um chat gpt is not built to provide you differentiated emails um chat gpt is built in a way to build consensus yeah absolutely and i think um this is i would like to touch a bit deeper on this because i think finding the right sales channel and really your like key growth engine is a yeah. big topic for startups in general um, so in the testing, uh, how would you say if you started from scratch again or from this, like where you joined, what were, would be the metrics that you would test in? So would you say, okay, we do 500 cold calls and 500 email um, outbound messages and 500 uh, try partnership deals. So how would you approach this testing and finding this channel? like I wouldn't harmonize on the number of outreaches. I would harmonize on like, what do you need to have a meaningful um, assessment of the situation? So for example, if I send out 500 emails, it's a completely different story than if I have 500 cold calls. Um, probably you need much more emails to kind of like really get um, representative results. So if you send out 5,000 emails, then you might know, okay, this is working or not. But with 500, unless your target audience is really that small, um, then it might work. But if your target audience is just 500 people, um, it would already, it would already, um, like, from 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 the get go, scream. Okay, you can't just do emails because probably to make some money, you need to convert a high number of these 500 targets. Uh, but if you have, I don't know, five million targets. Yeah, then you can send out 5 million emails and you'll probably convert enough um, to make a living out of it. Mm -hmm. And when would you say, do you know when a sales channel is this key engine? When would you know this sales channel is the way to go? Um, do you then compare or is there a specific yeah. number in percentage? No, you look at the results and you see what's working best. I mean, it's it's not like, you know, I think sometimes people have a, too theoretical idea of how this works. Um, mm. So let's assume you, you're testing out five things and it's unlikely that one thing will 100% work and all the others don't, but it's more like one thing will probably work the best and then something is a little bit weaker and weaker and then some, at some point maybe it fades off completely. So 
you're looking into those results. You're trying to understand, okay, how reliable is this in a sense of, is this replicable or does, does this uh, relate to certain outliers? Uh, you know, is there a reason why, for example, something worked because, I don't know, you know, when you, it's a little bit like funding for AI two years ago was a different uh, game than funding for AI now. And sorry, I don't want to hammer on an AI, but it fits <laughs> like uh, in, into many of those things. So that means, um, does it, does it, does it now mean the people are doing something differently? Probably not, but the sentiment has changed. So these are external factors and you have to try to understand, okay, like, do you need to exploit those external factors? Do you need to avoid them? And then things change. So for example, we did for a while, uh, what we would call kick and rush campaigns where we would send out, I don't know, 10,000 letters like written in a direct mail, uh, with handwritten, like really personalized handwritten letters. No, 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 just letters, just, yeah. just not emails, you know, letters. I mean, we actually tried handwritten letters. They were written by a robot. Uh, and uh, it, it, it was he, like in a previous company, it was the killer. It kind of like blew out my expectations. He had Personio, it was the biggest fail or one of our biggest fails. So, and then we, we still figured that, you know, like sending something like a gimmick works well. And it doesn't matter whether it's handwritten or not because people don't appreciate these things anymore. You know, it's not like, oh yeah, I got a handwritten letter. Fantastic, where should I sign? Um, so, and we had a, what we could call, what we would call a cookie monster campaign. Um, so, uh, you know, Sesame street, the cookie monster, and we turned it into the admin monster. So the admin monster was creating a lot of chaos with, uh, HR and, uh, we are, we are the ones to fix it. And we put a little cookie that looked like the cookie monster, uh, next to the letter to kind of like as a, as a little icebreaker. And, um, it helped us to kind of like establish first contact with, with many prospects and customers that we now have. But at some point in time, we did this literally to everyone that we could reach. So, and then there's no point in continuing and doing the same thing over again to the same target audience. And then you have to stop it and then you have to do something else. Very, very interesting. Um, so basically there's a big discussion also always going on on this um, sniper versus shotgun approach. So um, what I heard out a bit is that you are doing a mix of both at Personio with letters and, for example, cold calling, which is rather sniper. No, I mean, cold calling can also be pretty shotgun if you if you try to get, I don't know, if you do 80 call attempts a day, then, um, you know, I don't I wouldn't call this very snipered. Um, I think I think in our case, we have a very broad market. So we have by now 10,000 customers and um, like alone in Germany, I think we could have up to 300,000 or something like that. So we're still like at a very low market share. Um, and we we don't have a, an ICP problem because uh, like many companies just need the product that we're building. You know, it's a, it's a very general product. It's a very utility type of product. So like, it's not like, okay, do I need this or not? It's more like, okay, when do I need it? And um, then with that said, the, the, there's a trade-off between being fast versus being prepared. And if the value that a customer derives out of your product is in 80 to 90% of the cases the same, then the pitch is in 80 to 90% of cases the same, then it doesn't actually matter so much what the customer is doing. You know, it's a bit like, um, you know, everyone needs to eat. 
whether you go to an Italian restaurant, a Turkish, an Indian, a Chinese or a German one, is not related to the fact whether you're hungry or not. It's related to the fact where you have a preference. What's your taste? So uh, when it would be only about the hunger, you know, you could basically sell anyone something that solves hunger. And for Personio, it's a very basic need. People need an HR software. So whether it's a, it's a, uh, I don't know, um, advertising agency, a software company, a car retailer, a bakery, and so on, the demands are to 70 to 80% the same. So therefore we could basically be very broad. But what we also then realized once we kind of like turned around the market that um, in some cases we need to be more tailored. So we have a blended approach, but in the beginning it was more shotgun. Mm -hmm. Okay, very, very interesting. And um, I saw on LinkedIn, for example, at um, Hanno, Hanno Renner, um, one yeah. of his top three skills is sales. You know, on LinkedIn there are these endorsed uh, skills. And, um, does, he, does, he, does he have that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you endorsed it even. You endorsed it even, uh, those yeah. skills. Okay, that's, and, that's, um, that's a long time ago. Hanno is not... And uh, okay. so no matter what it means to have this on LinkedIn uh, or uh, if it's any, uh, it, if it tells anything, but what role would you say did he play um, in this scaling up from two to 50 million? And in general, what role does a founder play in an ideal world? That's a big question. Uh, Anno is 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 one of the key elements in this whole game. I mean, um, he he's a he's a great leader. Like I worked with him in the early years uh, directly together, and uh, despite the fact that I think he's literally a decade younger than I am, uh, I learned a great deal of him, and mostly around you know his abilities to um, to grow with the company. I, I think it's not it's not it's not something that you can take for guaranteed that. Someone he like founded out of university, Personio, with uh, the other co-founders Roman Azeni and um, Iggy and Jonas. And uh, Jonas came a little bit later, uh, but uh, basically these are the five five people kind of like at the core of Personio. And um, uh, yeah, it's not guaranteed that someone sticks around when the company is like nearly two thousand employees strong and uh, we are beyond a hundred million in revenue and so on. It could also be a moment where then someone says, okay, look, like I'm not baked out for this anymore. Let's bring someone else in to kind of like bring this to the next level. Uh, and I think this is this is what I think is very inspiring uh, related to Hanno. And, you know, that's how he drives the company. And that's also how he, you know, like inspired me in a sense of, okay, like don't get stuck in one place, grow, adapt, like whatever we decide now, it might only be valid for, I don't know, two, three months, and it might work for two, three months, and that's good because it worked for two, three months, but then in month four, you need to change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, the second question was, like, what role does a founder in general play in this, like, scale-up from two to 50 million, or what role did he play? I don't think there's a general answer. I think mm -hmm. you know, there's, a, there's an answer on the roles, like, depending on what is the founder. Is the founder the CEO? Is he a CPO? Is he a COO? Mm -hmm. Is he a CTO? Like, what's the function? Um, the only the only role that has variability is the CEO role, but the CEO role is, I think you can Google uh, quite a few good resources how it's scoped out, but it's in, term, in that terms like uh, setting a strategy, um, building a team, uh, um, how to say sourcing financing. So um, a CEO is basically kind of like the the 
yeah, the original check knife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is in that in that sense. And then a CEO or any founder needs to understand what he or she doesn't know, and then bring on people who know it better. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Um, what would you say? Uh, because of course, this fast growth um, comes with with many challenges, and one of them, most certainly, is uh, staying customer centric. So. How did mm -hmm. you maintain to be customer-centric while scaling? Mm -hmm. We have a couple elements there. So first of all, I think every interaction with a customer is an opportunity to um, focus on the customer and then deliver exceptional results. Um, does it happen always? No, obviously not. I mean, like, um, I think it would be, it would be um, a wrong statement if we, if we would say that, that we always exceeded customer expectations. But I think overall, like in general, we did, and um, we we beside the regular interaction have, for example, something that we call a customer advisory board. So we bring customers into the company um, that then uh, partake in this uh, advisory board for at least 12 months. Uh, and we have discussions around them with our general dev development strategy, where's the product going and so on, what do they need? And we compromise that out of different uh, different different customers. And this has changed over the year. And the reason why we're limiting that time is obviously to kind of like have the ability to make this uh, advisory board uh, um, fluid in a sense of being able to develop as the company and the product develops as well and to be representative of it. Uh, beside that, uh, we have also, you know, the usual things where we involve customers in co-development. Uh, so what we don't do, we don't develop one thing for one customer. Uh, That's that's not the principle that uh, when you run a SaaS company you should operate on, but um, you know we collect feedback. We have multiple channels on how you can get feedback to us, and then we look into it in a structured way and try to understand okay what is needed the best. And then when we have an idea, you know we also bring customers on board to interact with them and understand okay uh, is this what you mean or do you need something else or how should it look like or do you have anything else on top of that in your mind? So um, yeah realizing it's a long answer there's multiple elements across different levels um that we um yeah established already partially years ago but there's always something new that's coming on top mm -hmm. cool and looking back so what were for you at personio um the most valuable lessons and of course there were many um that you and the team made Yeah, I mean, you're right. There were many. <laughs> It's hard to pick one. Um, it's, really, it's really tough to pick my, like, if I, if I have a favorite one, let, let, let's, let's see where I start. So um, I think, um, again, like those, like whatever I'm going to say now, uh, always check for, is this applicable for your situation? Because in our situation, we had, for example, uh, in general, I would argue um, um, speed over perfection. So um, the time you need, you need to that you need to bring something from 80 to 20 percent, it might be completely irrelevant. So that means if you operate on this 80-20 principle in a in a startup world, I think you will generally do well. You know, might some might be even more aggressive and um, even be less 
you know, like towards towards completion and even more geared towards speed. But we had also one example. We launched um, three years ago, three, four years ago, the first time our payroll product. And payroll is not something you can do 80-20 because doing payroll 80-20 is like, oh yeah, your salary is 5,000, but this month I paid you 4,000. It's okay, it's not a big deal. Or so, and I don't think that people would uh, take that um, that, that people would consider this funny uh, or that they would be okay with it. So payroll needs to be 100% or at least 99. So 1% everyone can kind of tolerate, uh, but it, probably you also would expect that it's fixed. And um, with that said, uh, we, we, we didn't focus enough on the quality of the product at that time. We kind of like took it back and uh, took a couple of years now to rebuild it again. And we're launching it um, as we are speaking. Really, really cool. Um of course, now uh, we have a different market situation that you, 2018, when you joined the company, uh, had. And also with AI, uh, quite um, probably also a different approach to sales. Um, what advice would you give founders now that maybe faced, faced a, the, a similar challenge that you faced 2018 when you joined Personio? Um, what advice would you give founders and go-to-market leaders I don't th like. I don't think that uh, I would have like that. The times are impacting this differently. Um, like I don't mm -hmm. think that um, you know just because we have a few AI tools around and so on, uh, and the market environment is uh, that you are whatever you need to do in sales is entirely different. Oh. One thing that is different: um, buying decisions are made with more diligence, with more scrutiny around the vendors. Um, so that means you need to make even more sure that your product market fit and the value that you bring in is there. So uh, back to what I just said, like, can you do, do this 80-20? Yeah, if you have if you have enough uh, product market fit, then go 80-20. But if you don't have enough product market fit, then maybe you're not even at 80. So you need to probably invest a little bit more into that. So this is the only thing where I would say this is fundamentally different uh, because then we're going back to what I said is Look at your target audience. You know, if your target audience are AI developers, completely different game than if your um, target audience are construction engineers who are actually not even sitting in an office, but 80% uh, of their time is on a construction place and 20% of the time is in a car or a train or a plane traveling to those construction places. So they don't live in this like AI world and you probably won't be able to call them. You might not even be able to write them an email. You probably have to go to those construction places and talk to them. So, and back again, this principle hasn't changed. Understand your audience, see or like identify the channels that allow you to reach them and then be there, be present and try to kind of like get as much exposure as you can. And maybe one, one funny example on, how, how Hanno did that, as you asked about his role. So in the early days, even before I joined, uh, most of our customers were in Berlin because we were selling a lot to startups as we were as well, also one. Uh, and what did he do? Like he kind of like agreed to meetings beforehand. So he didn't just like go there, but he took then meetings and he took a electro scooter and then drove around the city from meeting to meeting to meeting. So um, physical yeah. meetings, physically. Yeah, I mean, wow. look if you if you if you are if you are entering the 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 working world in the last two to three years, then physical meetings might appear how to say uh, exotic, but um, there's a lot of power in physical meetings. 
um, you, you shouldn't do it for, for everything and everywhere and everyone, but, you know, if it's justified, if it, if the return to that meeting is good enough, like there's nothing more than nothing more powerful than shaking hands and uh, looking into each other eyes and yeah, getting, getting to a physical agreement. Absolutely. Absolutely. And my last question would be, um, what is, what does the future hold for you? And, um, what does the future hold in terms of expansion for, for the company? Mm, for me, <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, if I, if I, if I could un answer that question pr properly, then I would be probably in a probably completely different space than I'm right now. Um, no, but I mean, my future is here. I'm, um, I'm excited what we have ahead of us. Um, I've, I've not been so far in a company where there was so much opportunity and, um, I love opportunity because it's absolutely something that drives me, um, that, um, you know, I want to capture opportunity and materialize it. Uh, that's one element, like how I operate. Um, therefore let's see how, how that evolves and what, what happens. Um, and for the company, I mean, we have, we have a, like alongside to what I just said, you know, we can expand into more countries, we can deliver more products or a combination of both. And, um, that's something that we're determining at the moment to see, okay, what is the, what do we believe is the golden path? Um, because just going into other countries might be an option, but also might bring along his challenges or its challenges. And on the other side, just going or piling up products like we are currently focused on on HR. And um, if you if you look at a company like Workday, they've expanded now a while ago into also the finance space. We could also start doing finance products, but is that now the right thing for us? And that's something where we are where we are currently discussing uh, where we want to go and what do we believe is the fastest growth path because we still consider as a hyper growth um company and in in certain ways also a startup because we see where we could be and while 1800 people that we have right now appears like a lot it's probably a small number compared to where we will be in five or ten years cool. thank you so much oliver likewise thank you as well